0: Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, uh, we're going to get into the Word, uh, and as we do, I am excited to share what I believe is uh, kind of the heartbeat of our church today. We're coming back to the heart, coming back to the beginning, uh, and uh, as we do that this morning, I know that not everybody in the room today is, uh, is a part of, the, or has been a part of the Father's House since we started this whole thing out. Um, I actually asked this in the first service. I'm going to ask it again. Is there anybody here who was here from day one? You started in day one. Okay. Shout out to the OGs. I like it. But that means that most of us have, have not been, and a lot has happened over the last... <laughs> did you just give her a high five? Yeah, we were here from day one. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, most of us have not been, and as a result of that, there's a lot that's happened over the last three and a half years. But as I was praying and preparing for today, um, I really felt the Holy Spirit say that today is going to be like a catch-up day in the Spirit. If your kid has ever missed school for a period of time and they had to do some makeup work so that they didn't fall behind the class, uh, I think that's what it's going to be like in the Spirit today. There's going to be kind of a, a moment where we all get on the same. Page and then we cross into this next chapter together as we come back to the heart of the Father's house. I'm also excited to tell you that um, if you have children in kids' church today, uh, they are actually going to be hearing the same sermon that we are uh, hearing in this room. So I love that. I love the alignment with with our kids. Uh, if you're the kind of parent like me that likes to test your kids to find out if they learned anything in class, you'll know exactly what they talked about. So you can uh, you can ask them on the way home in the car and uh, make sure that they were listening today. I asked my kids between services, and one of them Got it right, the other one did not, so I disowned it. No, I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, well, hey, as we get in, I want to talk about these three words. Um, these are not unfamiliar to you if you've been coming to the church during 2021. Uh, Dare to Hope has not just been an album uh, title name or a song title, it truly has been the theme of our church this year. Uh, At the beginning of 2021, while we were all still sheltering in place and the church doors were still closed and there was still a lot of fear and uncertainty about everything that was happening, we felt the Holy Spirit draw us to this scripture in Lamentations chapter 3 where the prophet Jeremiah is sitting on a cliff looking out over the city of Jerusalem that has recently been ransacked, and the Babylonians came in and set fire to the walls and destroyed the temple, took the people away into captivity. Uh, And as he's sitting on this ledge looking out over the city he loves, he begins to lament, hence the name of the book, Lamentations. And he begins to talk about how his hope has been stripped away. He uses this phrase, everything I had hoped for from the Lord is now lost. Uh, He had hoped that the people would repent and uh, that God would spare the city, that he wouldn't destroy it and hand it over to the Babylonians. But alas, everything that he had hoped for was gone. And he was looking at this, this rubble, this, this city that once was, But in the midst of his lamentation, in the midst of his hopelessness, there's a moment where it's like the heavens open and the Spirit of God comes upon him and he says, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies are new every single morning. Great is his faithfulness. And in one moment, as he begins to remember God's faithfulness in the past and remember that his mercy is new every single morning, the hopeless situation, the bleak situation starts to look a little bit different. His perspective changes and hope hits his heart. And so we did just that at the beginning of this year. We, we allowed those words to stir some hope in our hearts. Even though our situation looked bleak and things looked a little bit hopeless, we said, you know what? I'm gonna recall that God has always been faithful and he's not gonna stop with me. He's not gonna stop with my generation. He will be faithful today and his faithfulness will carry me into the future. And even if I feel like there's nothing else to be hopeful for, I can remember that every day when I wake up, his mercy is brand new for me and that's what I'm living for. And that stirred some hope in our hearts. But then that hope, uh, it compounded a couple of months ago as we celebrated three years as a church. And we began to talk about the fact that hope doesn't just remember, it's not passive. Hope is also very active. It's aggressive. It takes action. We looked at the story of Nehemiah and reminded ourselves that uh, this man who repaired the city that Jeremiah wept over taught us that hope builds and hope fights. Hope is gonna build the kingdom of God that he's called us to build, and hope is gonna fight for that which God has called us to fight for. And today, as we continue on in this conversation, perhaps the last one of this year, but I think this theme will probably carry us for many years to come, uh, I wanna talk about another facet of hope, one that I think is gonna sound a little bit redundant, but one that I think is going to serve as this formative faith for us today as we enter into this next chapter. And that's this, hope keeps hoping hope keeps hoping. In other words, hope never stops until it sees the object that it's hoping for come to pass until it materializes. And to that end, I want to offer you a title for our brief chat today. We're going to conclude with another song at the end of the service, but I want to call this conversation, keep hoping, keep hoping. Everyone feels a little quiet to me. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, keep hoping, keep hoping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep hoping. For that, we're going to look at a couple of parables this morning found in the book of Matthew. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Matthew chapter 13. As we go to these parables, uh, for those that lifted their hand a moment ago, uh, these might sound familiar if you've been around from the beginning because these parables were found in the first sermon that I ever preached here in San Francisco. Uh, And it was not on our launch Sunday in September. It was actually before we were ever holding Sunday services. We used to do these things called preview services in this room. And it was an opportunity for the community to come and check out what the church was gonna be like once we launched. And uh, at the first preview service on April 22nd of 2018, uh, we looked at these two parables and uh, prophesied about what we believed God was going to do in and through the Father's house here in San Francisco. Now, three and a half years later, I feel the Holy Spirit bringing us back to this moment, back to these uh, these, these words. And I think the message might be a little bit different, the application might be a little bit different, but the heart remains the same. So as we go to these parables in Matthew 13, uh, I want to remind us how we are supposed to look at a parable in Scripture. I've said this many times, but just in case you've joined us for, uh, in the last couple of months, let me remind us how to to decipher a parable. A parable is a fictional story that displays a spiritual truth. And Jesus used parables all the time when he taught. Mark chapter four tells us that Jesus never preached a sermon without using one of these parables. And the reason Jesus used stories constantly is because he knew that it was easier for us to see ourselves in a story than just receive black and white truth. And if we could see ourselves in the story, we could better apply its truth to our lives. And so the hope and the goal of a parable is to get its listeners to ask themselves a question. Very simply, who am I in this story? So I want you to keep that question in mind today as we read these two very powerful but very simple parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 starts like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and he bought it. The next couple moments, we're going to unpack those and we're going to talk about how to keep hoping. Let me pray briefly as we, uh, as we jump in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here over the next couple of moments. We thank you for what you're doing in and through the Church of Jesus in San Francisco. God, we thank you for what's happening in this house and every other Bible teaching, life-giving house in our city. And today as we go to your word, I pray that just as it served to, 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 to form us from day one, just as it served to inspire hope in us from day one, then there would be a fresh hope that comes over the church today, a fresh hope that enters every heart. Uh, change our our, our lives, change our minds, change our hearts today by the power of your word before we leave this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Uh, A few months ago during the summer, as is the custom in the Biddle household, uh, my wife took our daughters away for a few days on a camping trip with her family. And yes, you heard me correctly when I said that. It's our custom that my wife takes our kids to a camping trip every single summer, uh, and I do not go with them. <laughs> I stay at home. I have made it no secret over the years that uh, I am not a camper. Anybody with me? Any non-camping people in the room? Hallelujah. Thank you for all of you. Yeah, I, I just don't get it. I really don't get it. There's some things that God has blessed us with. In his grace, he's given us showers and running water and Wi-Fi and <laughs> basic necessities. So. To forsake these basic necessities and just go back to primitive living just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, if I'm going to take time off of work and spend money on a vacation, it is not going to be to rough it and sleep in my own filth on the ground in the wilderness, all right? My idea of camping is anything beneath the third floor in a beachfront resort. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't camp. Um, But my wife and kids love it. They love that sort of thing. They go out and get dirty and come home and, and, and it's awesome. Uh, But because it was a bit of a bone of contention at the beginning of our marriage, we determined, uh, I think about 16 years ago, that we weren't gonna talk about this at all. There was just this understanding that Robin would go out and camp, and then when we had kids, she would take the kids camping, and I was gonna stay at home. She didn't wanna hear me complain the whole time we were there. We didn't wanna argue about it. So we just determined, I stay home because I'm indoorsy. She goes and camps because she's outdoorsy. It's great, it works awesome. And we've got a little bit of a rhythm now that we've developed, and I rather like it, which is kind of weird to say so that I like it when my wife leaves town uh, with my kids. But, but I enjoy it, because when Robin and the kids leave, I get to do a whole bunch of things that I never get to do when she's at home. And I know that sounds super fishy, coming from a guy, right? Because you're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Tim? <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> I'm a pastor, I'm a man of the cloth, okay? I'm a man of integrity, I'm not talking about those things that other people do when their wives leave town, but I have my own version of rebellion, if you will. It's pretty vanilla, very square, but, but it's mine, okay? And my version of rebellion goes like this. When Robin leaves town, I get to eat whatever I want to eat and I get to watch whatever I want to watch. Any husbands in the room that can get down with that? Yeah, I get to eat whatever I want to eat. When, when she's home, our diet is restricted to the things that she allows in our home. You know, the organic, healthy things. It tastes like cardboard. And then <laughs> when, <laughs> when we watch television at nighttime, the entertainment is limited to the things that we like to watch together. But when she's out of town, caution to the wind. I buy the greasiest, most heart attack inducing things that you can find. Piles of chicken wings, Fried chicken sandwiches, come on, somebody. This last time she left, okay, I actually discovered this magical hamburger at a place called Bull's Head behind us in West Portal. If you get nothing else out of this sermon, please write this down, take notes, Bull's Head. At Bull's Head, they have this hamburger, I don't even know what it's called, it's probably just called magic. It is a, it is a patty with a mound of bacon on top of it, like like softball-sized bacon. And then they spread chunky peanut butter and jalapeno jelly on the buns. And you just go, don't judge me, okay? (laughs) Tell me how to live my life. That's what I like to eat, all right? So I, I grabbed one of those and Robin went left town. And don't worry, I got a vegetable. I got some onion rings and I went back to the house. And I sat down in front of our television and I turned on the shows that I wanna watch, all right? And I don't know what you enjoy when you're entertainment, but for me, when when I get to watch whatever I wanna watch, I like watching the the treasure hunting reality shows. Those are my favorite. I love things like American Pickers and Auction uh, Wars and Storage Hunters and all those guys. I, I love those shows. There's something about like these people digging through mounds of trash and finding priceless treasure on the other side that just, it resonates with me. Uh, but my, my, my favorite show, and I, watch this, I binge, this watch, binge watch this one every time she's gone, is a show called uh, Gold Rush. Anyone ever watched Gold Rush before? Okay, the nine o'clock people had no sense of taste. You people know, okay, I like this. So for those that didn't raise your hand and aren't going to heaven, uh, there's, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, for those that didn't raise your hand, I'll tell you about the show. So there's a group of people, these different crews, and they go out into the wilderness, and like the Klondike, and these really remote areas, and they set up these massive operations, heavy equipment, and wash bins, and all this stuff, and then they run literally hundreds of thousands of yards of dirt through these wash, uh, wash cycles to try to find like a bit like a mason jar amount of gold at the end of the week. And when they find just this little bit of gold buried beneath the surface, they celebrate and they party and then they do it all over again uh, the next week and they have these competitions between these different camps. It's, it's the coolest show ever because when you look at these fields, when you look out in the wilderness, all you see is weeds and dirt, but these guys, they see some treasure buried beneath the surface and I love that. That resonates with me and I think the reason it resonates with me is because I believe that that is why I am on planet Earth. Uh, Not not to be a a, a treasure hunter in the Klondike, Uh, too much camping involved for me there, (laughs) but but to find a different kind of gold, to mine for a different kind of treasure. I've I've, I've mentioned that I have a life mission mission statement. Years ago, because of a conversation with a friend of mine, I developed a simple statement to define the entirety of why I'm on planet Earth, and it's this. I am a gold digger. That's why I'm on planet Earth. Not the Kanye way, but (laughs) I'm a gold digger. My life mission, as long as I have breath in my lungs, is to find the gold in people and in situations and in cities, to look beyond the surface of what everybody else sees and realize there is some treasure hidden behind what everybody else is looking at. That's my life mission statement. I'm supposed to find the gold. I have found, and this might be a word for somebody in your marriage or in a relationship, I have found that if you just stick around long enough and you dig deep enough, If you don't flee and just judge by the outward appearance and things are never going to get any better. But if if you look beyond the rough exterior and the broken city and the difficult situation and you just keep on digging, there is always some gold to be found. There's always gold beneath the surface. I'm a gold digger. And I think that that is also the reason that I, I love these two parables. Probably two of my favorite in scripture, because these stories are about a couple of guys that refused to quit until they found the gold. They were willing to sacrifice whatever it took to get to the treasure. And my hope today on this three and a half year anniversary as we release this album is that by the time we conclude, we would have a similar community of people here at the Father's house. Some people that would say, I am on planet earth to find the gold. That is what I'm here for. So, so let's come back to these parables for just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. Before we go into these parables, let's, let's look at the similarities. Uh, both of them involve a valuable treasure, both involve a treasure hunter, and both end very similarly with these people selling everything that they have to obtain that which they, they were looking for. And because of their similarities, it might be assumed that they have identical applications, but but that would be a wrong assumption because even though they look very similar, there's a very different application for each of these, and it's important that we draw a distinction between the two of them. In order to do that, however, we must first define a phrase that we find at the beginning of each of these parables. Uh, Jesus starts them out by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Jesus used that phrase many times while he was teaching. In fact, I think it's over 80, 82, 83 times that Jesus used the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he began to paint this picture with a story trying to explain to human society what the kingdom was like. And even though he used it rather frequently, over 80 times, it was misunderstood. Many people misapplied what the kingdom was. In fact, many people still do the same today. In Jesus's day, uh, those listeners, many of them, assumed that the kingdom of heaven uh, was a political structure. That Jesus was referring to the fact that he was going to come, and he, as a politician, would overthrow the Roman government that had been oppressive to the Jewish people, and that once he overthrew the government and all of their their laws and their taxes and uh, the imposition of their rule on the people's lives, that, that that he was going to establish the Jewish people once again. Their party was going to rule in their congress, and, and they would begin to do things the way that they wanted to do them, and the. Way the way that God wanted them to be done. Their hope and their Messiah was supposed to be a political figure, which sounds very similar to the way that many Christians think about their Messiahs today, but I digress. In our day, also many people begin to apply this idea of the kingdom of heaven as a subsect of society, the Christians on earth that are ruling in spiritual authority. We are those of the kingdom, and there is some truth to that, but it's, it's a bit narrow because Jesus said clearly my kingdom is not of this world so to simply apply the kingdom of heaven to a worldly example it's 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 narrow still others might say the kingdom of god is just that it's something that isn't of this world it's a place a galaxy far far away that we go one day if we've placed our faith in jesus we all go to heaven but even that is also a narrow definition because Jesus often spoke of the kingdom in very present terms. In fact, when he taught you how to pray, he said, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so, so the kingdom is not a political structure. The, the kingdom is not an eternal destination. The kingdom is none of these things that we mistake it for. So, so what is it? And it's important we know that because if both of these parables start off with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, then everything after that assumes that we know what the kingdom of heaven is. So so let me offer a very simple one word definition for the kingdom that you can apply to all 83 of the times Jesus mentions this in scripture. Ready? Very simple. Distill it down to one word. The kingdom of heaven is this. It's Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus. Bless you. Jesus himself made it very clear that I am the kingdom. The kingdom is right here among you. One time in Luke chapter 11, uh, 11, he is being accused by the religious leaders of casting out demons by the power of Satan, and he makes a statement to assert I am in fact the kingdom. Look at this in Luke chapter 11 verse 18. He says, "You say I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive?" And if I'm empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. So they will condemn you for what you have said. But, watch this, if I am casting out demons by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. In other words, you want to know what the kingdom is? You're looking at it right now. Jesus says very clearly, I am the kingdom. Why? Because I'm the king of kings, and I'm the Lord of lords, and as long as I'm the king, wherever I'm at, then my kingdom is being established. (laughs) Let me remind you of what happens when we sing these songs and there's lyrics on a screen. This is not some karaoke session where we just kind of warm up for the real thing, which is the sermon. In many ways, I wish we would just keep singing and not listen to the guy up here talking all the time. But what happens when we sing, we are exalting Jesus as the king. We are giving him authority in this room. And wherever he is exalted and his kingdom comes, the realities of the kingdom begin to take place in our midst. That's why he told us, hey, pray, my kingdom come, my will be done. Uh, When we pray and we lift up our voices and we sing and we exalt him as king, his kingdom's established and the sick are healed and the broken are restored and the addicted are set free. Why? Because the kingdom comes in that moment. Wherever Jesus is, there be the kingdom. And so... As we look at these parables, if we understand that Jesus is in fact the kingdom, we have a little bit of liberty to start them out a little differently. Instead of them starting out with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, we can very easily replace it with Jesus is like. And when we know who Jesus is in the story, then it becomes a little easier to identify ourselves in the text. So with that understanding, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Jesus is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Jesus is like a treasure. So in this first parable, Jesus makes it clear. I am the treasure. I am the one that someone found and upon finding sold everything so that they could obtain me. And if Jesus is the treasure then that only leaves one character in the story for us to identify with. If he is the treasure, you are the treasure hunter. You are the one seeking the treasure. It has been said accurately that everybody is searching for something. We're all on the prowl. We're all hunting. (laughs) Some of us are hunting for love. We're looking for that significant other. In fact, in boldness today, there's a lot of potential prospects in the room. Is there anybody here who is single and looking for a significant other? Come on, just be bold in the house of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands. Keep them up there. Look around, look around. Look around, look around. Take a mental picture. That's who you're talking to on the porch afterwards. Hallelujah. Okay, good. You can put them down. I'm here for you, all right? I'm your boy. I'm just, just trying to serve the kingdom, all right? <laughs> People are searching for love. Some people are searching for a new job or a new vehicle or a new home, a new roommate because the one they've got isn't working out so well. Everybody's searching for something. But, but on a deeper level, all of us are searching for significance and meaning and joy, fulfillment, identity. Those are the longings of the human heart, and often, we try to find the latter list in the former. We're looking to find the fulfillment that we desire in these temporary things that this world has to offer. As the uh, great prophet David Gruel from the Foo Fighters once said, all my life, I've been searching for something. Something never comes, never leads to nothing. Nothing satisfies, but I'm getting close, closer to the prize at the end of the rope. I think we've all felt that to some extent. Nothing truly satisfies. When we search for these deep heart longings in these temporary things, we all end up getting let down. We end up disillusioned and disappointed and frustrated. Why? Because the thing we thought was going to to, to resolve that tension in our heart never truly did. It only ended up leaving us more empty than we were before. And we're still on the hunt. And I think the reason that we find ourselves often frustrated and disappointed is because whether we would articulate it like this, maybe you would reject the assertion altogether. But deep down, whether you'd admit it or not, you're searching for Jesus. You're searching for something that only God can satisfy. There is a longing in the human heart for God, even if we wouldn't admit that. In fact, it says so in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of all mankind. All mankind? All mankind. Atheists and those that want nothing to do with God and those who believe in a different religion, there's still something in the heart of mankind that longs for some clarity about whether or not God can truly satisfy As cheesy as it sounds, there is a God-shaped hole in every single heart, and only he can satisfy. And maybe you are here this morning, and you are on that search. Maybe someone invited you to come to church. Maybe the back of a bus invited you to come to church. Uh, Maybe you were walking by, and you saw a bunch of friendly people and some cupcakes on the porch, and you're like, yo, I'll just come in and hang out with these folks. Literally happened last weekend. But however you got here, maybe you find yourself in a situation where you are searching for significance and you are frustrated. Let me tell you, you found yourself today in the right place. In fact, you found yourself around the right people because everybody here has been on that hunt before. Whether we're on it now or we've been on it in the past, we all understand that frustrating cycle of trying to find significance in the things of this world but never truly finding it. But many of us came to a point where we discovered the treasure that we didn't even know we were looking for. Where we were searching through the proverbial field of our lives and our shovel eventually hit something that we didn't even know we needed, but once we found it, we were willing to give up everything to obtain it. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. He is what all of mankind is searching for. And like the man in this story, when you discover Jesus, nothing else matters more your pursuits and your careers and your relationships and all that this world tells you you're supposed to amass to find happiness, all of that gets set aside and laid down at the foot of the cross because you discover that you have found what your heart was truly longing for. It was Jesus all along. Only he can satisfy. Only he can bring fulfillment to the human heart. And if you're here this morning and you don't know how this whole thing works. Let me just tell you, God brought you to this field called the Father's house because he wanted you to discover a treasure that was only found in him. And he can satisfy that longing. And in just a moment, if that is you, I, I will give you that opportunity to do as the man in this story did, to forsake all and say, I just want Jesus. But, but before we do that, we have a second parable we need to unpack as well. So, so let's look at this second one with a slightly different application. Back to Matthew chapter 13. Looking at verse 45, it says this, Jesus, once again, is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found a pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. At first glance, if we don't realize how this parable starts, we might assume, as in the first parable, that the the pearl is the hero of this story. But in fact, it says very clearly, Jesus isn't the pearl. He is the merchant seeking the pearl. So Jesus in this story is now the seeking merchant. And if we understand that Jesus is the seeking merchant, we can clearly identify ourselves in the story because that makes you the pearl of great value. Girl, you a pearl. There's your pickup line on the porch right there. Girl. <laughs> I don't know, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> Girls, run away from a guy who does that as he talks to you, okay? (laughs) You are the pearl. Maybe you are here this morning and you would not say that you are seeking the treasure in the field. You're not in that pursuit right now. That's okay, because you know what this parable tells us? This parable tells us that even when you're not seeking God, he is still seeking you. He is chasing you down. Romans chapter five says it like this. While we were still sinners... When we wanted nothing to do with God, he still came and gave his life for us. When we were running the other direction, we weren't interested in him in any way, shape, or form. He loved us so much that he was still willing to come and give his life so that he could get to the pearls. He is the seeking merchant. I think often in church, we spend time obsessing over the cost that we must endure in following Jesus. We talk about the the plans that we have to surrender, the relationships we have to surrender, all the things that it costs the human to follow Christ. But I think rarely do we consider the cost that Jesus endured to find us because it was significant. Notice again that the merchant in this story sold everything that he had so that he could get to the pearl. There was no cost too great For him to get the object of his affection. And nobody like Jesus understands that cost. Because for Jesus, it cost him everything to get to us. He was willing to sacrifice it all for the pearls. Philippians 2 says it like this Though Jesus was God, he did not consider equality with God as something that could be clung to. Instead, He gave up his divine privileges. He left heaven and he came to earth to be born of humanity, even being willing to die a criminal's death on a cross in order to make his way to the pearls. Consider the weight of that statement for a moment. I, you, we, we were so valuable to God that he was willing to leave the splendor of heaven, where the angels are circling around the throat and singing, holy, 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 24 hours a day, to come down to a broken planet that he created, where he was not honored and worshiped as he was in heaven, but he was rejected, and he was spit upon, and he was beaten beyond recognition, and he was nailed to a tree, a tree that he created at the beginning of time with his own voice. He let humanity nail him to his own creation, Why? Why would one endure such great a cost? Because at the end of the day, he did not see a field that was not worth seeking in. He did not see your failure or your sin or your shame or your guilt. He saw a treasure that was worth chasing down. He saw a pearl of great value. And he said, I will endure whatever cost I must endure if it means that at the end of that, I will get these pearls. He spent it all so that he could get to us. We are the pearls that he is seeking to find. But there is yet a third application to these parables, and this is where I would like to land this morning. In fact, I'll invite the band to come as we get ready to conclude. One last thought. Because I would venture to assume that most everybody in this room would identify with those two parables. Many of us have been found. We are the pearl that's been discovered. We know that. We have discovered the treasure that is Jesus, and we've forsaken all to follow him. But lest we get lost in these fictional stories, let's remember a literal statement that Jesus made as well. Because he said, the Father has sent me to seek and save all those who are lost. But then he also said in John 20, As the Father has sent me, O disciples, now I am sending you. In other words, if you are a found pearl, if you've discovered the treasure that is Jesus, you now have a new job description. It's not just to sit in the safety and the security of your salvation. No, you've been called to be a gold digger, to go out there and find some buried treasure. Let me say it like this. God's desire is that every found pearl would become a seeking merchant. That you would have the heart of a merchant that says I will do whatever it takes. Remember again the cost that this merchant was willing to endure. Everything. He's not worried about his desires and his comforts and all the things that he had amassed. He said I will give up everything if it means that I can find the pearls. I think the Holy Spirit would be here this morning to ask our community, hey, would you be willing to be that sacrifice, that that merchant that lays it all down for the sake of finding some pearls that have yet to be found in our city? Because there's a lot of them still out there. Let me just say, as a gold digger, as a treasure hunter, I'm here for it. That is why I exist. That's why we moved to the city. That's why three and a half years ago, we started this church. Because there's a whole lot of pearls in our city that have yet to be found. And as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to keep digging beneath the surface. I'm going to see beyond the sediment. I'm going to keep building. I'm going to keep fighting. And like a a gold miner walking out onto his field every single morning, as our title suggests today, I'm not going to give up hope. I am going to keep hoping until we see a move of God in our city that is unprecedented in nature. That's why we are here in this place. And I wonder today if the Holy Spirit wouldn't say to you, will you join me on that journey? Will you join me in seeking some pearls? As you download the um, album today, that's the assumptive close if you didn't notice. When you download the album today, Uh, you will notice what people in the music industry call a bonus track on the album. Uh, And a bonus track is like that extra fry you find at the bottom of the bag and you celebrate uncontrollably. Like, yes, that's the bonus track. And that bonus track is titled St. Francis. Uh, We did not record it when we recorded in September and Some of you might be familiar with that that song because of the story that you saw on Discover or the video you've watched of ours on YouTube. But for those that aren't, let me catch you up as we've been doing all morning. Seven years ago, uh, when Robin and I were considering whether or not this is where God was calling us and whether or not this church was something that he was calling us to plant or if it was just an idea that we were romanticizing, uh, we set out to get some clarity. You, You don't embark on an endeavor of this magnitude without knowing that it's God calling you to do it. So we do what we always do when we, needed, when we need clarity about a decision, we fasted. Uh, little tip for me, if you are in a season right now where you're wondering what the next step is and you're not sure if it's the right thing, if it's a God thing or if it's a you thing, let me strongly encourage you to set aside some food, starve your flesh, feed your spirit, and I promise there's, there's clarity that comes in those moments. And so for 21 days, we began to fast. And on the first day of that fast, I sat down in a brown leather recliner chair in my office and I lit a little candle because I'm a basic white girl. (laughs) And I turned on my iTunes and I hit shuffle. That wasn't that funny. (laughs) And I hit shuffle and I just began to pray. And I'm asking God, Lord, is this your will? Is this your will? And as I was sitting there praying this song, St. Francis came on by a a gal named Christine Mueller, then now she's Christine DeMarco, she's been married. And the lyrics of this song begin to resonate in my office and completely destroy me. Here's what she wrote. She wrote, there is a love hidden inside your borders, just waiting to be free, waiting to be free. There is a hope hidden inside your borders, just waiting to be realized, waiting to be realized. So keep hoping, St. Francis. You'll be a free man yet. You'll see the sunshine on your city streets. Keep hoping, San Francisco. You'll be a free man yet. Though darkness covers your sleeping love, it won't last. Those lyrics, they brought me to to tears and I immediately went onto my computer and tried to research what is this song about and discover that when she was here for a couple of years, her, her and a group of people were believing for a move of God and they weren't seeing what they were praying for. And just about the time they were getting ready to pack up and move on, they felt compelled to write a prophetic song about the time that they believed was coming. Even though they hadn't seen it, they had believed that God was gonna pour out his spirit on San Francisco and there would be a move of God that was historic in nature. And they prophesied into the future, but until then, just keep on hoping. And as I was sitting there praying, the Holy Spirit said as clearly to me as I'm speaking to you right now, now is the time, this is the season, and I'm calling you to the city to be a part of a move of God that is historic in nature. And in that moment, it was like my faith was fortified. I, I, was, I was sold. It took my wife a little bit longer, but I was sold. We are going to move to the city and we are going to start this church. Fast forward. We recorded this album a couple of months ago. And after we recorded a few days later, my wife and I are sitting down uh, eating $1.05 oysters at Water Bar on the Embarcadero. Strongly recommend. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> And as we're having this conversation, it turns prophetic and and we begin to think about this song that started this whole journey out. And we realized hope was not just a theme that God had given to us in 2021. Hope was actually our anthem from day one. This has always been about a hope for a city that God desires to be saved. And I'm kicking myself as I'm sitting there like, why didn't we put that song on the album? We should have recorded that song. And so the next morning, uh, I, I woke up and I gave Justin a call here, who is a phenomenal musician, an amazing producer. And uh, they love you, sir. And I said, hey, listen, I know this is a big ask, but it, would you be willing to take this song that this whole thing started out with, put a little Father's House twist on it, make it our own, and put it on the album. And he said, man, I'd be honored. So him and Priscilla got together and uh, they, they put together this bonus track that you've got on the album. And on a Saturday morning, a few weeks later, um, Robin and I are sitting in our living room and we both get this text. It's from Miguel and from Justin. And it's the song. So as it was a while ago, I put it on my iTunes. I lit my candle. <laughs> and although I was sitting in a different chair in a much different season of life, Some very familiar tears begin to stream down my face because I was reminded once again why we are in this city, to keep on hoping. So this morning I give you, in conclusion of this message, St. Francis. Come on, every, uh, yeah, I want to go ahead and take your seat for just a moment. Every one of us, could we just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? I know that that hope is, um, it's got a name and a face for many of you. I know that um, some of you, it represents family members, sons, daughters, mothers. I was looking down at someone in the second row who, i <laughs> lose it it's, I pray for your mom. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have of seeking out pearls. Let that hope arrest our hearts this morning. And even as we're contending for some that are not in the room today, I I know that there's probably some who are here today that need to be found. And so right now, Um, I just wanna take a moment as we conclude. If you are here this morning and you would say, Tim, a moment ago when you were saying that there's some pearls that are lost or that there's a treasure waiting to be unearthed, I I identify with that. I I haven't found Jesus. I've been away from Jesus, but I know that I need to get things right with him this morning. I wanna ask you very briefly, if you need to get things right with God, would you just quickly shoot up your hand and look at me so I can pray with you before we conclude? Yes, sir, I got you right there. Yeah, right there, right over here, right in the back. Yeah, right there with you guys back there, right over here. Come on, lots of people coming to Jesus. I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. Even if you didn't lift your hand, you can still pray this with me, but just repeat this in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. Lord, I choose today to be your disciple. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for saving me. Help me to walk in your ways from this day forward, to remain in your love. Fill me with your spirit right now. And may I look forward to that moment where I'm in heaven, you look me eye to eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in the joy that has been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.